What up, and welcome back to episode 10 of the SportsBall.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams, and we've got a lot to get in today. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. So let's just jump right in, shall we? So uh, today let's start with the NBA, like we always do, but we're going to do something a little different. Instead of breaking down every game for the Warriors this week, we're going to look at the broad spectrum of things across the NBA, take this shit nationwide, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I feel like I've been relying on recent Warriors games as a crutch. And one of the reasons we're not going to talk about the uh, recent Warriors action is because uh, they've been decimated by injury, in case you are not aware, and are currently playing with a, basically a G League roster every night. Um, Quinn Cook, uh, who, I'll, who I will now be referring to as the sous chef, uh, has been playing really well, and that's really the only compelling reason to watch these games without Steph, Katie, Clay, and, St- and uh, Draymond. But uh, that's not going to happen for too much longer because Katie returns on Thursday, Draymond Green can come back any day, probably on Thursday, and Clay Thompson is just one to two games away, based off of what he said. And that's going to make the team competitive, competitive again. So, uh... Let's just jump into some other stuff, shall we? So, we're going to start with the Warriors, but not like the actual game-by-game action. But they've been decimated by injury, and so have several other teams. So let's uh, start this episode by breaking down some of the most significant injuries, and really just two of them, um, and what they mean for the season. So first off, let's start with Steph. Stephen Curry suffered a grade 2 MCL sprain in his first game back, so he's going to be out for three to six weeks. Uh, Steve Kerr said that there's no way he's going to play in the first round. But like 20 minutes later, Steph said his, his goal is to prove uh, Steve Kerr wrong, and he's going to try to come back before round one, so in like three weeks, because I think round one starts in exactly like 20 days or something. Um, typically, a grade two MCL sprain will keep a player out for anywhere from three to six weeks, but we have seen players come back earlier than that and later than that. Uh, there was a good sign for Steph, because the day after his injury, he was able to walk. Now, he was walking slowly and with a limp, but uh, last year, KD had the same injury, um, and the day after, he was in crutches and in walking boots, so that's a positive sign if there ever was one. And Steph dealt with the same kind of thing in 2016 uh, against Houston in the first round of the playoffs. He slipped and he got a grade one MCL sprain, which is it's not as bad. But he was back like 10 days later and hit, scored like 40 points against Portland, if you don't remember. But uh, this injury will un- undoubtedly affect the Western Conference playoffs and the playoff picture. There's no way around it. So... The first round matchup for the Warriors will be significantly harder, but we have seen them play without Steph early this year, and they were relatively successful. And without Steph, I mean without him, but we still have KD, Steph. I mean, not Steph, but KD, Clay, and Draymond. Because recently we've had none of those four guys, and we've only had 41 games with all four of those guys all season. So half the games we've played, we've had all four All-Stars. But uh, in their first stretch without them this year, which is really the only one where we've had... The rest of the All-Stars, they went 10-2, and two, and they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers on Christmas, who were the second-best team in the NBA at that time. Houston Rockets were like a close third, I would say. Um, and the thing with the Warriors without Steph is their offensive efficiency and scoring numbers did dip in those 12 games, but their defense picked up, and they literally became the number one defense in the entire NBA. And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making up stats here, they were the number one defense. Their pace on offense slowed, but they picked up for that on defense, they had the defensive rating of like... I think it might have been under 100 or right around 100, meaning they gave up 100 points or less basically every single game. Um, and so they can make up for Steph's production on offense, at least scoring-wise. And like by that, I mean like KD can pick up some slack, take like five more shots a game, and so can Clay. But they can't make up for his passing of the ball and his ability to push the pace. So with them out, they're going to slow down the pace. 
But uh, what they have now that they didn't have before was a confident Quinn Cook, who is basically locked to make the postseason roster at this point because we're going to be without Steph for round one, more likely than not. Who recently has just been on a tear. He provides a decent amount of scoring out of the point guard position. Um, and he doesn't commit a whole lot of turnovers. So in some ways, he's better than Steph. Not like, I know that might be blasphemous to say, but in some ways, he is better because he doesn't commit as many turnovers. He's not as much of a liability on defense. But he does put up a fraction of the scoring numbers, so you take what you can get there. Um, but so a lot of people are overreacting to the uh, grade 2 MCL sprain from Steph, saying that they're going to lose in the first round, that they're not going to win the finals. Here's my thing. Are they going to lose in the first round without Steph? No. Absolutely not. We have a tendency to have recency bias when looking at these kind of things and projecting the future. But recently with Steph out, these last couple weeks, everyone else has been out. Katie's been out. clay has been out. Andre Mon has been out. We've only had 41 games this year with all four of those guys. And I know I've said that like three times already in this, what, five minutes I've been recording. But people make the judgments about the Warriors offense and defensive numbers right now in this current stretch of games, like these last 10 games, and claim that it represents the whole sample size of games without Steph. Because there have been 50 games with Steph, but we're really only looking at the last 10 or so when we were making these kind of absurd projections. And that simply isn't accurate. The Warriors still have an MVP, scoring champ, and finals MVP in KD, who is more than capable of shouldering the load by himself for at least a round of the playoffs. But it's a good thing he doesn't have to shoulder that whole load, because we still have Klay Thompson, who, I don't know, is only the second best shooter in the history of the NBA behind Steph Curry? Come on. Um... I mean, he can't, like, carry the load on his shoulders completely. I'm talking about Clay because Clay's not very good. Off the dribble, he's more a uh, catch-and-shoot guy. But that's what Katie's for, and now we have Quinn Cook who can feed him the ball. Ultimately, what I think is going to happen with Steph is that he may be ready to come back before or in the middle of round one, but he's only going to be at, like, 60 to 75%. And if they are able to win that series without him handedly, then I don't think he's going to play until he's healthy. Because if we're match, if the Warriors are matched up against like the Jazz or something in round one, which ultimately would I think be, I think that'd be the toughest matchup for them in the way that the conference is currently laid out, is that if we play the Jazz because they're the number one team defensively, I think they'd still be able to win that series without Steph, because you got Katie, who's the best, arguably one of the best ISO scorers in all of all time. But based off of what that matchup is, if the Warriors are able to win that series relatively easily, meaning they only lose maybe one game, or they lose no games, and I don't know if the games are close, maybe. If that's stressful, but the, I don't think the Warriors are going to make Steph play until they lose. So I don't think he's going to have to play in round one. I still think they can sweep in round one pretty easily. And that's sort of running up against someone like OKC, which I don't think is likely at this point because they are playing but, uh, better as much as I don't like to admit that. But uh, I don't think he's going to play round one. I think Steve Kerr's going to hold him out because he has been holding out Katie and Draymond, who were both eligible to play on Tuesday. But was held out because you got to have those guys healthy at this point. That's a much bigger priority than winning. They're already locked into the two seed, basically. Because uh, Houston's like five games up and Portland's far enough back where the Warriors just have to win one game to clinch the two seed. And that's going to happen at some point. But I don't think he's going to play a game in round one unless the Warriors lose in like game six or set, or game five or six. Then he'll come back. But what I think is going to happen is come round two, the Warriors are going to play game one without him unless they feel that he's as close to 100% as he can get and if they win that game one and they win it handedly they're going to keep going without him and they're going to keep going in that same style until they lose because the longer you hold him out and the longer you let him rehab the better he's going to be in the long run setting a better chance against the Rockets if they make it that far 
and against anyone who comes out of the East. I think that's what makes the most sense. Now, does this move make the Rockets favorite in the favorites in the West more so than people already consider them to be? No, I don't think it does. As Steve Kerr said, and I believe, the Warriors can still beat any team on any given night without Steph, as long as they have KD and Clay and Draymond. It's pretty simple as that. We also have Andre Godala, by the way, who I haven't mentioned, who's shooting damn near 50% from three since the All-Star break. It's kind of flying under the radar. Um, the Warriors are that talented, and people seem to forget that, because, again, we've been without KD, Clay, and Draymond at the same time we've been without Steph. But the Rockets have also been dealing with a couple nagging injuries. James Harden had to miss time earlier this year with a messed up hamstring. And Chris Paul is currently dealing with a hamstring issues. And that could go south at any time. And it's looked particularly bad in these last couple of games. Um, and that could go south at any time. I hope it doesn't, just for the sake of competition. And the, I just don't want to have to deal with Twitter saying that the Warriors Championship is going to have an asterisk next to it again. But it's possible. And James Harden, three-point shot's been falling. Looks like he's been a little tired and slow recently, which I understand because he's going all out every night because he wants to win the MVP. But no, it doesn't make the Rockets favorite in the West. As long as Steph is on the court in that series, it doesn't even matter if he's 100%. The Warriors are the favorites. I think the Warriors might even be favorites without him because while the Rockets do have a lot of nice shooting around James Harden and Chris Paul, the Warriors bench is getting hotter and hotter as the stretch without the Stars goes. Andre Godal is getting hot. David West is getting his form back. Sean Livingston's hitting some shots in the mid-range. And Quinn Cook is just... He's turning into a stud. I think he's going to get a massive contract in the offseason. But this stretch is actually probably good for the Warriors in the long run because it's going to get their bench guys getting some confidence again. And that's what they were lacking throughout most of this year. Ultimately, I think it's very likely that these two teams are going to meet in the conference finals, being the Rockets and the Warriors. Um... But by then, Steph should be as healthy as he's going to be. And the Warriors, I think, are going to win it. I don't think they're going to sweep at this point because I think the Rockets are are good. But I don't think they're as good as people are giving them credit for. I think the series is going to go six games max. But if Steph is on the court in any capacity, I think they take that series pretty easy. Um, and then another key injury, not related to the Warriors at all because it's in the Eastern Conference, is with Kyrie Irving. And he had surgery to relieve some discomfort in his knee, which he's been dealing with for like two years now. He threatened in the offseason, if he wasn't traded, to get knee surgery, more invasive knee surgery to uh, stay out and he wouldn't play for Cleveland. At least that's what the rumors were. He never confirmed that. But so with his surgery, he's going to be out roughly three weeks if he does come back. Um, and I have no idea how healthy he's going to be when he comes back because it hasn't really been speculated much at all. Um, the surgery is minimally invasive. Um, but if I was the Celtics and I was Brad Stevens, I would shut him down for the rest of the year. So I don't risk playing him on a bad knee, making it worse, potentially, and he would potentially become an Isaiah Thomas 2.0. I mean, think about it. Do the Celtics really have a chance to take home the title this year? No, they don't. The Celtics don't have enough offensive firepower outside of Kyrie Irving to take down the Cavs, Raptors, or even the Sixers at this point four times in seven games. Benching Kyrie would actually be smart in the long run because you're going to force guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown just throw them right into the fire in the playoffs. Force him to try to carry the load offensively around Al Horford. And that's going to force him to take a leading role and get that key experience that you need. You need veteran experience top to bottom if you're going to make a run at the finals. We've seen that time and time again. The Celtics right now are just too young. And this would set him up nicely in like next year if, if LeBron leaves. Or when, Jason, or when Gordon Hayward comes back, I think they'd be right up there, top of the conference. Easy. But 
It's much better for the Celtics' long-term plans to sit Kyrie for the rest of the year, playoffs included, and then being able to walk out next year on opening night with him being 100% alongside Gordon Hayward, who would also be 100%. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown would both be playoff-tested, ready to rock for an extended run in the East when that competition at the top isn't as daunting with LeBron James, because I firmly believe he's going to the West. And I think next year, honestly... I don't think the Raptors are going to be good. I think this is peak Raptors this year, and if they don't make it to the finals this year, then they're done. Um, I think it's going to be Sixers versus Celtics at the top of the conference for the next like four or five years. Um, yeah, so better in the long-term plans for Kyrie to just sit the rest of the year, playoffs included. He probably wouldn't like that, but it'd be better to have both their stars 100% come opening night and not risk Kyrie getting hurt like Isaiah Thomas did playing on his bad hip. I mean, it's just logic at this point. Um, because really they don't they don't have a chance at the title this year. There are too many good teams that are better than them offensively. While the Celtics are really good defensively, they just don't have enough offensive firepower to keep up with these juggernauts in the East. Even calling them juggernauts because they're still not as good as the top teams in the West. But uh, yeah, so I think that's basically it, injury-wise, at least for right now in the NBA. But there are some other things to look at that aren't directly correlated to the injuries. So take let's take a look at those couple other things really quickly. Uh, the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're rolling. They they had won five straight games before getting smacked by Dwayne Wade and the Miami Miami Heat last night. They were held to a season low, like 79 points or something. Dwayne Wade blocked LeBron James, a classic block. It was actually pretty cool to see. But many are speculating that this is a turning point for the Cavs. They finally figured themselves out after all the lineup changes, trades, chemistry issues. And I have to disagree with you there. I think the reason this team is winning right now is because of one player, and one player only, not fixing the rotations or playing better without Ty Lue. It's because LeBron James is playing some of the best basketball of his career in year 15. Now, I am in no shape or form a LeBron James stan, or as the internet so lovingly puts it, a bronze sexual. But his ability to dominate this late in the year is something that we have not seen from him. And of course, I'm excluding the playoffs because he's been a dominant force in the playoffs since 2011, or every year except for 2011, really. He just averaged a triple-double in a calendar month for the first time in his career. And he's, again, been dominant for 15 years. And he's been willing his team to victories in close games like we saw against the Toronto Raptors the other day against, like last week, not the other day, but you know what I mean. But the question is right now, it isn't why they're successful with this strategy, because it's fairly obvious. The question is, why is LeBron playing so hard right now in March? He's never tried this hard late in the season. His teams and LeBron James have become famous for not only their success, but it's because they tend to take it easy in the regular season, especially down the stretch, and flip the switch, as they say, in the playoffs. LeBron James is at the forefront of this. He's been criticized year after year for taking games off and resting, but he hasn't taken a single game off this year. He said his goal is to play every single game. And I have a theory behind why he's doing this, and I'll share it with you right now. <clears throat> I think that he knows he's never going to win another NBA championship. And I agree with him there. This year, which I think is the last year of his championship window, if it wasn't already closed, there's way too many teams capable of beating him in the Western Conference and even in the Eastern Conference. Their teams are better constructed than his. There's the Warriors and the Rockets in the West, who I think would both sweep or win in five games against the Cavs. And that one win would be because they just get really hot or really lucky like they did in game four last year. Um... 
I think his team's going to be incapable of beating either of those teams more than once. And then the East is getting better. There's And they're going to be stocked full of great NBA teams in like a year. Or even this year, there's a ton of other good teams in the East. There's no way his team this year is going to go 12-0 and sweep all three series in the Eastern Conferences. Write it down. Book it. I'm saying right now, he's not sweeping the East this year like he did last year. Or not last year, because they lost one game to the Celtics. But they're not going to lose... They're not going to lose just one game or no games. I think it's going to be tough past round one because LeBron hasn't lost a game in round one in like eight years. Right now, LeBron is playing as hard as he ever has because he knows his championship window has been slammed shut. He's trying to show the world and the 29 other teams in the NBA that at age 33, in year 15, he is capable of dominating more so than he ever has. I think he's giving the fans in Cleveland one last spectacular season before packing up his bags and either moving to LA or hopping on board a championship caliber team next year, like Houston. Yeah, or like Houston or Philadelphia. I think it makes sense, really. It's not. I think that I don't think that theory is too far fetched. His team simply isn't that good. George Hill has been trash for the Cavs, and I don't. That might be a bit of an over an, under, an overstatement, but. He hasn't been good. Not as good as he was in the Kings, and he was only really good on the Kings because they were relying on him as relying on him as a veteran presence and one of the only people on their team who could score. Rodney Hood had been inconsistent and out for extended periods of time with minor injuries, just like he was with Utah. Jordan Clarkson is just fine. He's good sometimes, bad other times. Just taking shots like J.R. Smith, even though he's not as good as a shooter. And Larry Nance Jr. has benefited from having someone to pass it to him when he's about open above the rim. And he hasn't had that on a consistent basis before. So that's the only reason why he's really shining in Cleveland. The rest of the team is still pretty bad. J.R. Smith has been awful since the 2016 season. He still lacks the self-awareness to realize that. And he was even confused this year when he was sent to the bench. Tristan Thompson has been ass for two years now. And this is costing the Cavs cap space with this massive, and when I say massive, I mean like, gargantuan, like, blue whale-sized contract. The only two players on that team that are really still doing well consistently outside of LeBron James are Kevin Love and Kyle Korver. Korver being a spot-up three-point shooter, so there's no real explanation needed for his success with LeBron because that's the kind of player that does thrive in a system with LeBron because for a team to be successful with LeBron James, the blueprint's basically been made. You need LeBron and you need four shooters to surround him with on the perimeter so he can drive get a double team or a triple team, and he can just kick it out to an open guy, and he'll make a three. Easy. Kevin Love, though, he's been spectacular when he's been playing. He returned from injury like three or four games ago, and he's been great. And like I said before, I think in episode one or two of this podcast, it's because he's a clear-cut second option, and that's when he thrives, being a first or second option. That allows him to thrive in ways that he really couldn't with Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas. He can put up shots without feeling the pressure to get it to a, a lesser caliber player, but just because that's where the hierarchy of the team is. Now with the Cavs, ultimately, I do think they're going to make the finals just because LeBron is spectacular when it comes to the playoffs and he's playing as well as he ever has. But I think LeBron is really just giving fans in Cleveland one last display of his greatness before he packs his bags. Because I don't think I think he knows they're not winning the title. There are too many moving pieces and his team's just not that good to compete with the top teams in the wild, wild west. Simple as that. Another thing with LeBron James, and this isn't exactly related, but it's more related to how hard he's been playing and how well he's been playing. He had a pretty interesting quote when he was asked about the current state of the MVP race. And here it is. I would vote for me, James told the Associated Press's Tim Reynolds on Tuesday. The body of work, how I'm doing it, what's been happening with our team all year long, and how we've had so many injuries and things of that nature, guys in and out, 
to be able to keep this thing float, I would definitely vote me. I think it's very clear LeBron knows that a fourth title and a chance to catch Michael Jordan at six titles is out of the question. He's never campaigned so hard for himself for the MVP before. I mean, he already has four of them. I think he doesn't know how much time he has left. Really. And I think he's trying to find other ways for his fans to put him above MJ before he walks off into the sunset or when he leaves Cleveland. And I know this whole rant has come across as me being anti-LeBron, but in all actuality, I'm excited that he's playing really well for several reasons. And the several reasons being that it's better to have really competitive teams in the West, have a better competitive, more fun... A more competitive, more fun NBA Finals and more competitive Eastern Conference this year because there have been better teams there. But also, I think the main reason for me, and this is going to be pretty selfish, is that he's going to take first place MVP votes away from James Harden, who is still going to win the award, but this means that Stephen Curry will still be the only unanimous MVP in NBA history. And I think that's what we're really all rooting for here, isn't it? Also, this is unrelated to LeBron, but I did mention James Harden. And it's pretty funny to me that James Harden doesn't get more credit and more praise than he already does. I think he gets a lot, but I think he deserves a lot more because without him, I don't think the Rockets would be nearly as good, especially in the playoffs, at least until, what, round two? Um, But I think he might be the only player in NBA history who's suffering from MVP voter fatigue without even winning the award. Where he should have won it, I think think he should have won it last year when Russ won it, just because I think James Harden had a better year and... Russell Westbrook was very selfish, if we're being honest. I don't really like Russell Westbrook, and you all know that at this point. But if I were to rank my top five players in terms of MVP voting right now, it would look something like this. Number one, I would have James Harden, who should get the majority of the votes because he's been the hands-down best player in the league this year, outside of LeBron James, who's been the best player in the league for, what, like 10 years? But also, I think Harden deserves to win this award because his massive shoe contract with Adidas is worth significantly less money if he doesn't win the MVP. And I think he deserves that money, frankly, for what he's done to the city of Houston and their and their basketball team. They weren't very good without him, and now they're really good with him. And also, if he wins the award, he's not going to try 125% every single game every year again, or for every game in a season again. And that's going to make him better in the long term. And the NBA is better when their stars are around for a long time, like we saw with Kobe. I think LeBron James is going to be second. I think he's been good enough down the stretch to get more than a few first-place votes, but he's not going to win. I think James Harden's done enough to secure that first-place spot. I think number three is going to be Damian Lillard, who's been absurd recently these last couple months, but he's not been better than the top two for a longer period of time. I think Anthony Davis is going to be fourth because he's also been absurd, but will have significantly less votes, not significantly, but slightly less votes than Damian because Lillard's had that stretch of absurdness for a much more sustained period of time. Anthony Davis's was like, wow, two weeks he's been averaging like 40 points, 20 rebounds. It's incredible. But Damian Lillard's been absurd for like two months now. And then fifth, I'm going to go with Russ. Uh, as much as I don't like him, it's undeniable that he's the reason his team is as good as it is. He is the energy and heart behind the thunder. But yeah, so that's my top five. It goes Harden, LeBron, Damian Lillard, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. But outside of those... Outside of those guys, the only players I could see cracking the top five is Durant, who's been spectacular on both ends, but he's been hurt because of his injury issues. Or he's not been hurt because of his injuries. He's not going to make the top five because of his injury issues. And the same thing could be said with Steph Curry, who could also very well be above Russell Westbrook. But Steph's only played like 51 games. So moving on from the Cleveland Cavaliers and the MVP voting, let's talk quickly about the 76ers. Because like the the Cavs, they've been rolling. And they just got Markel Fultz back from his experience with the Yips. 
The Sixers have climbed all the way to the fourth seed. They're like half a game out from the three seed, and they've won seven straight games. Joel Embiid has been absurd all year. He was an all-star, and deservedly so. He's been relatively healthy all year, which is perhaps the more important thing because he missed. He only played 31 games in his first three years in the league. Ben Simmons continues to force to be a force on both ends of the court, despite the fact that he can't really shoot. And when I say can't really shoot, I mean he can't shoot. He's just been a stud. He's been a game changer for them. And they've built a roster around those two guys that is incredibly exciting and fun to watch. They have guys that can hit the three ball in J.J. Redick and Robert Covington. Covington's been absurd this year. I think, he was shooting, I think he's shooting above 40%. And they've got several other nice rotation guys and experienced veterans like Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova, who are much better for the Sixers than they were on their teams before. I think right now it's entirely possible for the Sixers to get on even more of a roll in these last 10 games and potentially make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. That could be a hot take. I could see it happening easily. They could be deadly in the playoffs. And like I mentioned before, another exciting thing for these Sixers is that they just got Markel Fultz back. And for those of you who don't know, or didn't know, he'd been dealing with a bad case of the yips all season long, and he'd played in like three games, and he hadn't seen any game action since October. There have been videos of him ever since then in a gym where he didn't look like he could shoot a jump shot. He was just missing everything badly. But he came back all of a sudden. On, was it on Tuesday? No, I think it was on Monday. And he was pretty impressive. His jump shot actually looked like a real jump shot. He was hitting that hezzy pull-up Jimbo that KD mentioned over the summer in that one ridiculous tweet that was... I don't have it pulled up, but it was something like Markel Fultz got a dirty hezzy, hezzy pull-up Jimbo. And if you don't know what that is, you don't watch real hoop or you don't really hoop. Something like that. But uh, he finished the game with 10 points and 8 assists off the bench. And if he's able to get things going and get on a roll, and even if he's able to find his 3-point stroke, which I think is going to be unlikely, being his struggles this year with the Yips, then I think the Sixers could be a problem for anyone in the playoffs because Fultz is a point guard. He's running things with the second unit, or at least he was last game. And if he can control things with that second unit, then you got a strong team. A strong team with a strong chance in the playoffs. I think they could be a problem for anybody, except... I think maybe even the Cavs. If they catch the Cavs on a bad night, they could do some damage. They got enough players and enough stars to move past that. Um, and another NBA news, this is the last thing, and it, it is injury-related, so I, I said he moved past it earlier, but I lied. Deal with it. Um, Isaiah Thomas, the former spark of the Celtics, and the headache for the Cavs, will now miss time for the Lakers because he needs arthroscopic surgery on his hip. This is pretty concerning because his hip was already clearly dragging him down this year. He was, able, he was never able to get into the shape that he was in before. He looked slow. His lateral quickness that he relied on before just wasn't there. He already had to have surgery over the summer last year because he hurt his hip and he played through it in the playoffs. The problem then lingered into this year with the Cavs. And, he had, and now he has to have more surgery. And that just isn't a good sign for him. He's in a contract year. He's definitely already hurt his stock. And I can't imagine a team giving him a contract for more than one year after the season he's had. He already hurt his reputation with all the shit that went down in Cleveland where he's just kind of a cancer and bad teammate. But I think now we basically have confirmation that he's never going to be the same player he was when he was in Boston. And that's kind of sad because he was really fun to watch in Boston. But what are you going to do? Actually, I think next year, if he ends up with like a, a one-year deal with like the Spurs or something, who Tony Parker's getting old, I don't know how much longer he's going to be there. But if he's with Greg Popovich and Pop can get him to lose his ego, like he has done with so many other players, I think that could be a good fit. Pop is, that team is just magical. 
um, outside of what's happening with Kawhi Leonard, but I won't get into all that. Uh, I think that's it for the NBA today. That was a lot, but we got some other stuff to get into with the NFL. So let's just do it. Uh, nothing too major is happening in the NFL right now. There are a couple things, a few interesting rumors to get into, and then a couple of rule changes. So let's just quickly look at those. The rule change and the major rule change, because there are a couple, but this is the major one, is that the owners voted unanimously, 32 to nothing, to approve the new catch rule. That would make catches, so like, catches like the, or catches in quotation marks, like the famous Des Bryant catch, Calvin Johnson drop, and that Jesse James non-catch will now all be catches. Now the rule is that the ball will not be ruled dead if it moves when the receiver hits the ground, and he's making a football move. Now, football move, still kind of unclear for me as to what that really is, but from my understanding, that basically means you're diving for a touchdown, diving for a first down, or like sliding to get out of bounds. Um, it's about time this rule was changed. I think it's going to be good for the league because, honestly, no one complains about the fact that there are too many touchdowns. People complain about the dumbass rules that take away touchdowns and infuriate fan bases to the point of turning off their TV. And the rules affected playoff history. I think... If the ruling that if the rule that's in place now was applied <clears throat> for Des Bryant and that catch against the Packers a couple years ago, I think they take home that Super Bowl. But it's in the past. We move on from that. Uh, there was another rule change. It was like there's something about helmet to helmet contact, and now it's going to be officiated more seriously as a penalty. But I don't really understand it completely. I know that Richard Sherman has spoken out against it. I'll get more into that next week as I do more research for it, and you'll know more about it then. Um. And then there's a rumor, a trade rumor, that I feel like we should talk about because it's kind of a big deal inviting, involving one of the league's biggest players. And that's with Odo Beckham Jr. OBJ's on the trading block, folks. Recent videos and incidents have pushed the Giants to the point where they might be better off without their stud wide receiver. And there are several other teams that would tremendously benefit from having him. <clears throat> so rumor has it that the asking price for OBJ is a first-rounder this year, and then something else. And now that something else is negotiable, and I'm sure that's going to be the driving force in the eventual bidding war that does happen if he does get traded. Now, this isn't just a rumor and hearsay. There are several quotes that indicate OBJ is on his way out. The new head coach, Pat Shermer, said of the rumors, quote, he's on our team right now, end quote. Which basically indicates that he's not going to be there for a long time, and he's just there right now. They're going to probably try to trade him, get a couple picks. And I'm, that seems like a smart thing to do. The Giants right now have the number two overall pick. And by the end, before the draft, they could have something like seven picks in a return for that second pick and OBJ. They could instantly, they could rebuild in a year instead of having to do it over the course of like three or four. Because let's face it, they're headed for a rebuild. Eli Manning can't last forever. Uh, their owner, I think his name's John Mara, said he doesn't want to trade him. But if the right offer comes up, the team's going to have to seriously look at it. Now, who are the teams that are most likely to seriously consider adding Odell Beckham Jr.? And who would he help out the most? The Browns are reportedly interesting uh, <clears throat> are reportedly interested in pairing OBJ with his former college teammate and good friend Jarvis Landry. Uh, they require they acquired Landry earlier this year, earlier this offseason from the Dolphins, and Landry's one of the best receivers in the game, best young receivers in the game. Um, they certainly have the resources to be able to do it. They've like a dozen draft picks this year, and two of them are in the top four. And OBJ, again, I've said this time and time again, he's one of the best receivers in the game. And Landry's just behind him, and he's gotten better every single year. If the Browns got him, 
They would now have a receiving trio of Josh Gordon, who's a stud, Jarvis Landry, another stud, and OBJ, top two wide receiver in the game. That'd be absolutely lethal. And then, because I think we know at this point they're going to draft quarterback number one overall. If I was him, I'd take Sam Darnold. They might want Josh Allen or Josh Rosen. I think any of them are fine. But that would be a perfect situation for him next year. Imagine that. So this year, right now, they have Tyrod Taylor. They just traded for him. He's on a one-year deal. So he's basically a bridge for a quarterback who's going to study at Hugh Jackson's knee for a whole year. Tyrod Taylor's going to look like a stud for a year, throwing to OBJ, Josh Gordon, and Jarvis Landry. Drives up his price. You can get him on a franchise tag, and then you can trade him for even more picks. Then, the next year, you've got a guy like any of the three quarterbacks I mentioned before who are coming out of the draft, throwing to the trio of receivers, and they're going to be instantly benefiting from that and making them look even better than they already are. The Browns could be on the up, coming up, folks. They could be in the playoffs next two years. Let that sit in. The Browns, who went 0-16 this past year, 1-15 the year before. They could be in the playoffs next year. That's pretty crazy. Um, another team that's reportedly interested is the Rams. Um, they are apparently interested in making their already very good team even better. Because, yeah, that's how the league works. <laughs> Naturally. Um, this offseason, they already added Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. Who are two of the top ten cornerbacks in the league? To an already studly defense. They also just added, like two days ago, Ndokumansu. Ndokumansu, I can't say his name, I never have. But Sue, the D-lineman who was on the... Lions and then the Miami Dolphins. And they added him to a D-line that now features him and Aaron Donald. So frankly, that's terrifying. And then they're now, they're looking to add OBJ to the arsenal of weapons that they already have at wide receiver for a young and up-and-coming quarterback in Jared Goff. That's absurd. I don't know exactly what the Rams would be able to offer to entice the Giants, but that pairing could be absolutely deadly. Yeah, on paper, this Rams team's looking like they could be Super Super Bowl contenders next year, if not Super Bowl favorites. I think they're contenders without OBJ, but if they land OBJ, I think they'd be the favorites, them and the Patriots. Um, the Chargers are also reportedly interested, but I'm not sure what they would be able to give up or how good that would make them because they already have a couple other good wide receivers, but I don't think they have a good enough defense to be able to hang with. Or I, guess the, I guess the AFC West is wide open, really. I think the Chiefs are at the top, and you got to fight with them for that for that number one spot, but I don't know how good the Raiders are going to be because that regression last year was horrifying, and I don't I don't know how quickly they're going to be able to recover from that in the first year of John Gruden. But if the Chargers could get him, that'd be interesting because Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and they've already got Keenan Allen, the wide receiver, a couple other nice guys. That could be a nice fit. And then the 49ers also seem like a very good fit. And I'm not just saying this as a 49ers fan. There have been rumors that the Niners would, of course, be interested in this. And they've got plenty to be able to send over to the Giants in terms of draft picks. Imagine pairing OBJ with the greatest quarterback of all time in Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> no, he's. I'm, I'm going to keep saying that because he's never lost a game. And, you know, he never will. But, uh... Pairing OBJ alongside their breakout star in Marquise Goodwin in Kyle Shanahan's offense, that pairing would be absolutely deadly. And we have seen 
Kyle Shanahan's work with top receivers like back two years ago when he was in Atlanta with Julio Jones, who was the number one receiver in that league that year, undisputedly. Come on. OBJ to the Niners is literally a match made in heaven. And I would I would die if it happened. That'd be spectacular. It'd be top-notch. There's an arms race in the NFC West between the Niners and the Rams right now. And I don't know, I'd really like to see the Niners get the upper hand. Because right now it looks like the Rams, on paper, are a much better team. But the 49ers wide receivers, like Pierre Garçon, I think the other day on Instagram he said, keep winning, something like he posted a picture of him and Marquise Goodwin with a caption of, keep winning on paper. We'll see you in the field or something. Something like that, in reference to all the moves the Rams are making and how the 49ers have this supreme belief in their offseason additions, along with Jimmy Garoppolo, which I do too, so no really... No misunderstandings there. Um, the last thing with the NFL is uh, it's not that big of a deal, but Johnny Manziel has now worked out at two different pro days, one at San Diego State and the other one at Texas A&M. So it looks like he might be back on an NFL team. It looks like he might get a second chance after all the off-the-field issues and on-the-field issues he had immediately after his first thing with the Browns. The Patriots have talked to him reportedly three times, at these events, they talked to him once at the San Diego State one, and then they talked to him before the Texas A&M one, and then one, and then once afterwards. Which is absurd to me. The Patriots of, of all teams are very, very against off the field distractions, and really have the players having any sort of personality whatsoever. So signing Johnny Mansell doesn't seem like a, a great fit, um, unless Bill Belichick feels he can whip him back into line. But that also says something about this draft classes um, about the quarterback class in this draft because if they feel that the best option for a backup is Johnny Manziel over a young rookie out of college must mean that this draft isn't as deep as we really think it is but my bigger problem with all this and it's fine that he's working out getting these pro days is that Colin Kaepernick still can't get a job we can't just sit here and pretend that Menzel was better than Colin Kaepernick Menzel started like eight games in the NFL he threw seven touchdowns and seven picks, and he won a total of, what, two games? Kaepernick took his team to three NFC Championship games, and one of those he won and took his team to the Super Bowl, in which, if not for a controversial call, or a better play call, really, his team wins. Even his last year, Colin Kaepernick, of course, it people down on him because they say he was benched for Blaine Gabbert in his last year, when he was playing, but that's not really true. He was injured, and for those like six games that Blaine Gabbert played, it's because Colin Kaepernick wasn't 100%, and the second he was, he was playing. And then Colin Kaepernick was good on that team. The problem was, he was surrounded by a team of nobodies. His best receiver was, what, Jeremy Curley? Is he even in the league anymore? I don't think so. I don't think he's on a team. He might be in the Jets or something. I didn't see anything from him last year. But Colin Kaepernick threw like 16 touchdowns, four picks, one of the highest QB ratings of the league during the time he was there, and he didn't even win a game. It's absurd to me that he can't get a job. And Johnny Manziel is now getting a chance. I mean, Manziel does recognize the fact that it's probably not a good thing for a good look for the league that he's getting opportunities and Colin Kaepernick isn't because in a series of tweets, he said something like, don't compare me to Colin Kaepernick because the reason he's not playing doesn't have to do with his football ability. It has to do with the fact that the owners don't like his politics and what he stands for. Which I thought was cool. It was it was a nice thing for Johnny Manziel to do, but 
It's still absurd to me that Colin Kaepernick can't even get a workout while Johnny Manziel is throwing at pro days. And uh, that's it for the NFL, I think. I think that's all. So let's move to the MLB because guess what's happening this week? The season starts on Thursday. I'm recording this on Wednesday. It starts tomorrow. On Thursday, every single team plays. Except their game was postponed. I don't remember who it was between. But the season starts. So now is probably a good time to inform you all about my plan for baseball coverage on sportsball.com. I will be doing a recap, a daily recap of every single game that took place in the day with key talking points, key highlights, and really all the key action that took place on each day. All 30 teams, all 162 games, every day, all year, till it's done. Or at least, you know, until I lose my mind or my brain explodes from doing too much work. But uh, yeah, check that out. First one should be up tomorrow night, and we'll be up every day. Daily highlights, daily recaps of every game, breaking down all the key points. I'm excited. Most ambitious thing I've done on this site, other than this podcast, is the daily MLB coverage that we're going to start on Thursday. Then moving away from that and the planned MLB coverage, we're going to quickly talk about the Giants because that's what we do here. I'm from the Bay Area. You understand this at this point. It's been 10 episodes. You get it. You understand me. So the Giants looked really good coming into spring training. And throughout spring training, they played really well until last week when the entire team got hurt. And of course, you know, I'm exaggerating, but very key players are now hurt and are going to miss extended periods of time. And the team is, I'm worried. Of course, I'm an idiot, so I still firmly believe in the chances of making the playoffs, but the chances definitely took a hit in this last week. So four key guys got hurt and are going to be on the DL. Or three of them are going to be in the DL. We don't know about the fourth one, but here they are. First of all, Madison Bumgarner fractured his knuckle in his left hand while protecting himself from a comeback, a comebacker in his last spring training start. That's right. In his last spring training start of the year, he got hurt. And he's going to be out for minimum six to eight weeks. So that sucks because, you know, as we saw last year without him, we blow. Um, Jeff Samarja got hurt. He... Dithman with his pectoral muscle, he's going to be out for around a month, even though he's going to start throwing. I think tomorrow he's going to start throwing. Uh, Julian Fernandez, their Rule 5 draft pick, is going to be on the DL with an elbow sprain. That admittedly isn't as big a deal as it seems because we still have plenty of other pieces in the bullpen. But then Mark Melanson, our closer, he's in 100%, and he may end up starting the year in the DL, so that's that's a drag. But uh, basically... In summary here, I am very sad. And uh, I think the Giants might end up flopping this year despite all the moves they made. And that's really upsetting to me. (laughs) Um, I'm not ready to call them dead in the water just yet because, as I mentioned before, I'm dumb and I didn't even give up on them last year. But also because they have solid enough pieces to stay afloat until Bumgarner returns, at least in my mind. And it honestly might make for a more healthy Bumgarner down the stretch. And it, he, that could make him better for starts on short rest, starts more often, go deeper in the games, throw more innings, throw more pitches, and carry the load. Put the team on his back and carry him in the playoffs, which he's done before. Um, now, the team has been said to be looking for outside help when it comes to starting pitching in the form of a trade because they want to stay under the 
under the luxury tax. Um, I don't know exactly who's available. I was thinking about this um, as it happened because I'm frankly scared about our rotation. But the Mets have a surplus of arms, and I'm sure one of them can be lured away at the right price. And by one of them being lured away, I mean the one that they just sent down to the minor leagues in Zach Wheeler, who you might be familiar with because we traded him at the 2011 trade deadline for Carlos Beltran, which, you know, didn't work out all that well. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was just sent down. And I think the Giants, if they really wanted to, and if they really felt like they needed to make a trade to acquire some pitching, they could send Chris Shaw, the stud first baseman from our minor league system, who's blocked because we have Brandon Belt, who is a, as as many would like to disagree about this, he is a top 10 first baseman in the MLB. Hands down, he's a stud. Pete doesn't get enough recognition for this. But the Giants could trade Chris Shaw, their minor league first base stud, to the Mets for a guy like Zach Wheeler. Or to really anybody, a team looking for first base help. But I was thinking about the Mets in particular because their starting first baseman is Adrian Gonzalez, who is like, what, 40 years old at this point, and he's a fossil, and he's not that good anymore. And I got to think they'd be willing to sacrifice that kind of minor league arm for for a a good a good solid power hitter at first base who can they, who they can lock up for a long time. That's something you don't walk away from in my mind. But hey, uh, what do I know? I'm just a fan. Um, the Giants also made a move. They brought back Dusty Baker, who's will not be a coach, but he will be a special assistant to the CEO, which is a pretty good move if you ask me. He's going to answer it directly to Larry Bear and Brian Sabian, uh, which is a pretty good brain trust if I do say so myself. Um, it's not going to affect the day-to-day operations for the team, but I felt like it was worth mentioning because Dusty Baker's a really, really smart baseball mind, and the Giants brought him back. And I thought he shouldn't have been fired in in Washington, but I understand why he was because they're fed up with the fact that they can't win a championship. And when he was the coach, the team kind of choked last year in the playoffs. But uh, uh, I think that's it for around the MLB, at least news-wise. And I know I only talked about the Giants, but there's not really much going on but the MLB season starts on Thursday so we'll get into like actual coverage of it next week on the podcast but so for our last segment I wanted to bring in a special guest to talk about an official MLB season preview giving predictions and previews and all that so here he is and uh here is known baseball aficionado and our first guest on the sportsball.com podcast my little brother Ben What's up? You ready to get some uh, season previews and predictions in there? Yup. Yeah? You ready? Mm-hmm. Ben's, a, uh, Ben's been playing baseball for a long time, and he he knows some stuff. And when I say some stuff, it's not a whole lot, but he knows some things. So let's go division by division really quick and get through the division winners. Let's start with the NL West. Who do you think's going to win? I'm going to say Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks. Why? <laughs> Why would you pick the Diamondbacks over like the Dodgers? Because I hate the Dodgers. Yeah, but this isn't about what you hate or what you like. It's about being right. I just think they're going to have a good year. Yeah? You think the Dodgers are going to fall off? I think the Dodgers are taking the NL West. Nah. Yeah? No? no you're, with the, you're with the Diamondbacks? All right, Ben's got the Diamondbacks this year in the NL West. I got the Dodgers. What do you got in the AL West? As much as I hate to say it, the Yankees. Are you stupid? AL West. AL West? Whatever. It's AL. <laughs> I just said AL. No, we're going division by division. Why? We don't embarrass... Let's restart. <laughs> no, we're not going to restart. Just keep going. AL. Who you got in the AL? AL, AL West. West. Astros. Astros? Yeah. Right, I'll say the Astros. 
it's a solid pick because you know they're the World Series champions. They made a couple <laughs> nice additions, like Garrett Cole. All right, do you know who's in the NL Central? Do you know what the NL Central is? <laughs> yeah. All right, who's winning the NL Central? I have no idea. You have no idea. You don't even know who's in the NL Central, do you? I know. I don't, I don't follow any of them. I'm gonna say the Brewers. You're taking the Brewers. That's a solid sleeper pick. I'll give you that. I'm going with the Cardinals. I like their addition of Marcelo Zuna. I think Michael Walker's having a big bounce back here. I think the Cubs and the, the Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers are all be up at the top. You think so too? I, for, I forgot about the Cubs. They could be that could be a wild card team. You sticking with the Brewers, or you think Cubs take it? I said Cubs take it. Cubs take it. All right. Ben's got the Cubs in the Central in the NL, and I got the, the Cardinals. AL Central, who you got? This is embarrassing for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a division I don't watch. But you, you're embarrassing I know the White Sox. Yeah, you think the White Sox are taking No, it? I don't. I think they're going to be like White the Sox, last place. White Sox are <laughs> trash. Um, who else is in there? You got the Twins. You got the Indians. You got the Tigers. Indians, you got Indians, the, you got the Indians, Royals. Indians. He's the White Sox. You think Indians take it? Yeah. I agree. I think the Indians take it. I think still very good pitching staff. They still got that solid bullpen. So we both agree Indians take the Central. Do you think they win it by a lot or not a whole lot? I don't think there's a whole lot of talent outside of Indians in Minnesota in the Central, do you? There's no other good teams. No? Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, plus the Royals just lost Salvador Perez today. Like three to four weeks with a uh, MCL tear. He tore it while like, picking up luggage or something. Why? Picking up his own like luggage like a suitcase at the airport. It's not like he's moving. <laughs> How do you do that, though? It just happens. All right. NL East. I think this division's stacked this year. Nationals. Nationals? Yeah, Nationals. I also got the Nationals. Who else do you think could make a run? You said a couple a couple days ago, you said something about the Phillies potentially being good. What do you think about that? I said take second or third. You think it takes second Mets or third? are also going to be up there. Yeah. Well, yeah, either, I think either one of those teams could take a wild, wild card spot. I also think the Nationals take the NL, NL East. And AL East, do I have to guess? Do I have to, uh, do I have to ask? Yankees. Yankees take it. You think uh, Red Sox can make, keep it close or Yankees going to pull away? No. They got nothing. Yeah, Red Sox got nothing on the Yankees? Who's the better offseason addition? J.D. Martinez or Giancarlo Stanton? Giancarlo. Giancarlo? Giancarlo's been hurt. J.D. Martinez is more like, you know, stays healthy longer. For get, more he's getting older. getting older. I think they're both under 30. I, don't, I think J.D. <laughs> Martinez is like 32, 33. Yeah, I think that last season of J.D. Martinez was an outlier. He's not 32. He is. No, he's not. I will look it up right after this. He's definitely 32, 33. <laughs> All right, you can you can think that. All right, we got the wild cards. Who do you think take the wild cards? There are two of them, in case you forgot. In the National League, who do you think take the wild cards? About Giants could take it. Phillies could take it. Brewers could also take it. Brewers could take it. Yeah. Yeah, pick two though. Who gets one? Who gets second? Jaden Martinez is a thirty by the way. Both. I'll say Brewers Giants. You think Brewers Giants? I was also high on the Giants earlier, a couple weeks ago, but you've seen all the injuries, right? Yeah. Bob Gardner's out. Samarja's out. Mark Melanson's now out. Melanson's always injured. Yeah, Melanson, Melanson hasn't been a great signing so far. But All right, so who you got again? Brewers-Giants is what you said? All right. Who takes that game, Brewers versus Giants? Brewers. You think Brewers take it? Brewers are the first ones they got home field? Yeah, that's smart. Uh, for me in the wild card, wild card one, I got the Cubs. Number two, I got the Mets. And then, I think you could go either way with that game. I think I'd take the Mets in that game. They just got better frontline pitching. I think 
Cindercar is going to be great this year, so. Yeah, sounds about right. All right. AL wildcards, who you got? Red Sox. Red Sox? Yeah, I think that's a good pick. And uh, another <laughs> AL team. You forget what? <laughs> ben, this, this is embarrassing for you. I hate the AL. You hate, well, that's something we can agree on because they have a DH, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dumb rule. So there are several other teams. You got for the division winners, you picked the Astros. Yankees, you picked the Indians. Yankees and the Indians. So you said Red Sox take it. I agree with you on that one. I think Red Sox take a wild card spot. Who else do you think? I think other teams that could. I think the Twins could be good. I think Mariners could be Angels. Mariners and Angels. Yeah? Okay. Angels. That's the same picks I had. Yeah, I had Red Sox, Angels, Wild Card 1 and Wild Card 2, respectively. Who do you think takes that game? I think Angels might be good this year. Yeah, but who you got in one game? Angels. Angels one game? They don't have a whole lot of frontline pitching, but you can have it if you want. I'll take the Red Sox in that game. You got any sleeper teams? AL, ML? Teams to watch? Teams that could be good? Blind with the radar? Potentially steal a Wild Card spot? Not really. Not really. You just don't know. Pretty much. All right. I got I got a couple sleeper teams. I got in the AL. I think Minnesota could be really good. A couple guys step up. Significant improvements there. And I think Seattle could potentially be good. I really like that signing of D. Gordon. He's been he's actually looked really good in center field in spring training, which I was surprised by. Wheels. You got any sleepers in the NL? I mean, I'd like to think the Giants could make a push for the playoffs, but. I, I put Nash, I put the Giants or the Giants in there because I think they could put it together near the end. But you got any other teams? Brewers. Brewers. All right. Yeah, Brewers are a good sleeper team. I didn't write that down because frankly I forgot about them when I was writing my outline. But I got the Diamondbacks. I think that could be a good team. I don't know if, how much Rockies they qualify also. as a sleepover or sleepover. I don't think the Rockers are going to be that good this year. I think last year was kind of a flash in the pan. I think the Phillies could be a sleeper team. I think Phillies could take away with a good spot. Easily. Yeah. Youth. Nice youth. Ben really likes Rice Hoskins, whatever his name is, right? Yeah. Reese Rice, what is it? Same thing. You don't you don't know what it is. <laughs> All right, who it's you think? Like who you think's the American League winner? Who wins the American League playoffs? Say Yankees or Astros. Yeah, you got to pick one. I want to say Astros, but I'm gonna go with Yankees. Yankees. All right. I also got the Yankees in American League. I think that series would be tight. I think it'd be another seven game series like it was last year, right? Good pitching on both sides. Good pitching on both sides. I think the Astros, the Astros are still loaded, but I think it's underrated how hard it is to make it a two straight World Series, right? It hasn't been done in a long... I mean, the Royals did a couple years ago, but outside of that, it's tough. Like, really tough. Like, we can we can say that. We're Giants fans. Giants, the Rangers make it back-to-back? The Rangers? Yeah, they the Rangers made it back-to-back. They lost both. But yeah, we've, we're Giants fans. We know. 2010, we won. 11, Cardinals mediocre... Won. We're not talking about the winners. We're just talking the Giants were mediocre in 2011. Didn't make the playoffs. They won in 2012. Sub five. I don't think they were they. They might have been sub 500 in 2013. I don't remember. Um, Came back. Won in 2014. Bad. Very bad. Then they made the playoffs. Yeah, they. That's the whole even year thing. That's why we're an even year team because it's hard to make a World Series back back years. Exactly. All right. Who takes the? Uh, who wins the National League? It's like could be nationals. You think it could be nationals? You think, Dodgers. You think it'd be you could you think it could be the nationals here? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's nationals. I agree. I think we got the same World Series matchup. We got we got Yankees Nationals. Um I don't think the Dodgers take it. I think the Dodgers are gonna have to fall off at some point. I don't like them. So <laughs> that's a pretty easy call for me. But uh in that series, who wins? Nationals be Yankees. Who wins how many games? Who's the MVP? 
Yankees, six games. Mm-hmm. MVP, uh, was it power hitter on the Yankees that's like... Which one? There's a, there's no, a lot. no, no, no. Not John Carlo or Judge. Gary Sanchez? Catcher? Yeah. yeah. You think Gary Sanchez takes MVP? We, I think, uh, I said the Nationals taking six. Yeah. I think the Yankees are too young. I think they're a year away from just really being able to, really being able to put it all together. Um, MVP, got to go with Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg. Probably Steven Strasburg, actually. I think he could dominate down the stretch. Um, so let's move then to the awards predictions. I'm not going to go all the awards because there's a whole lot of them. Let's go with the basics. We got MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year. No silver sluggers. No silver sluggers. Too many. No silver sluggers, no gold gloves. We're not going to go comeback player of the year, all that jazz. But who you got winning the AL MVP? I know. AL. And who, who you got winning and who you think could make a run like a, as a dark horse or a sleeper? AL, I say Bryce Harper. No, not nope. Bryce. Mike Trout. Mike Trout's the one. Mike Those Trout, yeah. The same. Uh, you can't be confused with the NLAL. You said the same. <laughs> Are there any dark horses? Any players do you think could make a run for it? No. Other than Mike Trout, you think Mike Trout is on the way with it? I also think Mike Trout wins. Um, he he's what top two like every year for like last like six years or something. I was I, I have a dark horse. I think Gary Sanchez could take it if he, if he manages to find a way to hit for power consistently behind Judge and Stan. That could be deadly. Yeah, and if he could lead the Yankees to like a hundred win season, because. I think that's what they're capable of at this point. I think Gary Sanchez can make a run for it. And I think Mike Trout could really only win it if the Angels make the playoffs. But I'm optimistic they take a wild card spot. Who do you think takes it in the NL? NL? Could be anyone. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, yeah. He's up there. Who do you think takes it? Who's the one guy? Carries his team above the rest. Most valuable player in the National League. I'm going to say Bryce Harper. You think Bryce Harper? Bryce Harper's a good pick. I'm going with Yoan Cespedes. You know who that is, right? Outfielder for the Mets. I think he's had MVP caliber seasons like last ever since he's been in New York. I think he puts it together this year. I think the Mets take a wild card spot. Uh, yeah, I think it's easy as that. Um, that. Got any sleepers or people you think can make a run for it? NL. Not really. Not really. All right, I got Anthony Rendon from the Nationals. He was a stud last year. If he can stay hot, keep or just improve from where he was Actually, last year. If uh, Reese Hoskins has a good year, yeah. If Phillies make the playoffs, he could. He could easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, yeah, but I think Anthony Rendon, he was a stud last year. If he can just continue on that path this year, he should be an MVP candidate at least in the top three. And then as real sleepers, Marcelo Zuna, Cardinals just picked him up from the Marlins, and he hit like thirty-seven bombs last year with like one hundred twenty RBIs. And yeah, some of that was that he was hitting behind Stanton, but. I think if he can shoulder the load offensively for the Cardinals and they make the playoffs, if they win the Central, I think he could take it. Um, so you said Trout in the AL. I agreed, Trout in the AL. So we both think Mike Trout's going to win AL MVP. NL used to Bryce Harper. I said, yo, an assessment Lock it in. Write it down. AL Cy Young, who do you think takes it? Severino. Severino from the Yankees. Any other guys you think could be up there? My AL. Chris Sale. Chris Sale, Red Sox, yeah. Kluber. Corey Kluber, all right. Coming off a good year. You know, standard guys. Justin Verlander could have a good year. Yeah. All right, those are solid picks. You said, who's your guy again? Uh, Severino, Lou yeah. Severino from Yankees. Second year player. I don't think he's going to take it just because sophomore slumps are kind of an actual thing in the MLB, more so than any other league. So I think for the ALC, I think Garrett Cole takes it from the Astros. Just tra- just got to change the scenery from the Pirates. I think it could be very good for him. He's got one of the best offenses in the game to back him up. 
don't think he's ever really had that in Pittsburgh. At least not as good as his offense as the Astros have, because I think it's historically great, to be honest with you. Um, and then a couple sleepers I got. I got Jose Barrios from the Minnesota, um, Minnesota Twins. If he puts it together and the Twins are able to make a run at the Central, I don't think they can. So this is really a, really a deep sleeper pick. But if the Twins can make a run at the Central, overtake the Indians, I think he could take it. And if he's a stud. And then Luis Severino agreed with you there. So I said Garrett Cole, you said Luis Severino. All right. And then NL, who you got? NL. A lot of good pitches in NL. Got to go with the classic. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, but who do you think takes it? You can't just list a bunch of names. Who do you think takes it? Probably Max Scherzer again. Max Scherzer again? I think he won last year, right? Right? Yeah, he did. Um, any any other guys you think could take it? Steven Strasburg. Steven Strasburg. Anyone else? Kershaw, maybe? You, I would say... I don't think Kershaw didn't allow a single run all spring. Well, yeah, but... He's not... Okay. <laughs> yeah, but he's had one ERA years. Yeah, he he had an ERA of zero in spring training in like 15 innings. Yeah, I still go with that. Scherzer. Scherzer? It was a solid pick. I can respect it. Uh, I think Steven Strasburg takes it. He's been getting even better every single year. If he can avoid injury problems, just be filthy all year, I think he could take the Cy Young. Especially if the Nationals manage to put it together, win 100 games or win like 95 games. Got the offense behind him. Yeah, other guys I think could make a run for it. I think Noah Syndergaard from the, Yank- from, from the Mets. That's a good call. Yeah, easy. Fireballer. And then a deep sleeper, or not really a deep sleeper, I guess a dark horse, because he was really good for a while a couple years ago, but then injuries kind of derailed him. But he's healthy right now. I think Michael Waka, St. Louis. You know who that is? I don't no. know. He gave up the uh, series-ending home run to Travis Ishikawa, 2014 in the NLCS. He was a stud a couple years before. He was injured that year. He came in in relief, which he doesn't normally do. But if, if Cardinals can take the Central and he's an ace, he wins like 18 to 21 games, I think he could take it. All right, yeah. Um, you got picks for AL Rookie of the Year and NL Rookie of the Year? Or are you just going to read off my list? Um, I can see your eyes. Rookies. <laughs> rookies. You don't have any? Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll prevent you from embarrassing yourself. Um, for the AL Rookie of the Year, I got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He's, call if he gets called up. He's just been a stud all spring training. You saw the home run. I think it was yesterday, right? Yeah. That was majestic. It was incredible. Uh, and then NL Rookie of the Year, I got Ronald Acuna Jr., He's just been a stud for the Braves. I could see him coming up and making an immediate impact. Just taking the two top prospects. Yeah. Have you seen him in spring training? I've seen both of them. Yeah, they were absurd. All right. So I think that's all the picks uh, we got from Ben. That was kind of embarrassing a little bit, wasn't it? A little bit. A little bit. All right. <laughs> you can you can go scoot away now. Appreciate the picks. Thanks for joining me on the SportsWall.com podcast. You were the first, first guest. Ben Williams, baseball aficionado and my little brother. Um, and I think that wraps up this episode of the podcast. So if you enjoyed episode 10, you want to hear more from me, go ahead and check out the website, sportsball.com with a Z. That's S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-A-L-L.com. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave me something nice, and uh, I'll see you next time.